I'm going to start this morning kind of issue you a challenge as a church. And the challenge is basically this. It's really simple, to devote yourselves to God's Word. No matter where you're at on the scale of God's Word, whether you feel like, well, I'm a person that's really devoted already, then I'm asking you to do this. Take a step closer then. Uh, maybe your devotion life, uh, especially the area uh, regarding the Word, isn't what it should be. Then, hey, take a step closer. But I really want to challenge you this year to draw closer to God through His Word. Uh, just take a moment and think back over the past year and really consider these questions. Uh, number one, did your faith grow in the previous year? During 2022, did you grow in your faith? Last year, did you grow closer to God in your walk with God? Did you mature more as a believer of Jesus? So if not, then your, your lack of growth will be directly linked to your devotion to God's Word. Your lack of growth, your lack of maturity, your lack of growing closer to God will always go back to the Word of God. And I know the Spirit of God and the Word of God, but they work hand in hand. You've got to have both. And today I'm just going to focus on God's Word. So our devotion or lack of devotion to God's Word will impact those results. Where you were last week or last year uh, has a direct impact on where you were in God's Word. So it's the beginning of a new year, and why not do this? You know this, we have 365 days ahead of us, 364 now, I guess. So why not prepare ourselves spiritually? Because we understand this, <clears throat> uh, a new year doesn't mean that we're, we're given a break on whatever struggles, whatever trials, whatever we face, there's no guarantee of that. So if we look back over our lives, we understand this. Every year that we enjoy, there is a struggle, there's a fight, there's a battle that we're going to have to go through. Why not take the time today to say, you know what, I really need to prepare myself for the next 364 days. I know that they're going to be ahead of me, so why not challenge yourself to draw closer to God through His Word? And one of the best ways we can prepare ourselves is through the Word of God. Now, everyone's going to face challenges, but Christians, we have a wonderful advantage. In fact, we have two great advantages that the world doesn't have. Number one, we are born again. The Spirit of God dwells in us. That is an advantage that non-believers don't have. As born-again believers, the Spirit of God dwells in you. No matter what trial or difficulty you go through, the Spirit of God is with you. Unbelievers don't have that experience. They don't have that promise. Therefore, that is a great advantage to you and I to have the Spirit of God within us during trials and difficulties. Secondly is this. We have God's Word. And then in tandem with that, you say, well, <clears throat> anybody can pick up a Bible. They can go online. They can read the Bible. I get that, and that is effective. And God works in wonderful ways, but... For you and I, the Word of God is not just words on paper. They're the, it's the living Word. It's God's revelation to man. And when you're going through a difficult time, the Word can come alive. The Word can rescue you. The Word, the word can pull you out of a pit. Let's face it, there, there are times that you can be resistant to the Holy Spirit and stay in the pit as long as you want. And there are times that you can be resistant to God's Word and stay in the pit as long as you want. But both are equally there. They could pull you, help pull you up out of that pit that you're in. Another advantage, again, is, again, focusing on the Word of God. Consider this verse, Psalms 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And just think about that for a second. Uh, in order for that to be difficult, that means there has to be there's some darkness. There's, there's some lack of light that is around us. God's Word acts as a lamp for our feet, and our, life to our, our light to our path during challenging and difficult times. With God's Word, we can navigate through that darkness or a dark situation. And each time we do this, we have God's Word illuminating that path for us. 
you know, it's amazing when you're going through something or you're going through a dark time or a difficult time, uh, we, we want light this way. We want, a, a, we want a, a bright light. We want a floodlight. But that's not the way God word. That's not the word of God. He'll, he'll provide light to our path, light to our feet, so we can take a step at a time. You know, people talk about blind faith and different things. You know, rarely do we have to do that. Mostly, God gives us his word to step out upon, step by step, following faithfully and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Some of you got stuck in 2022. Let's just be honest. And listen, you're not alone. The, the church has really, across the nation, especially in our nation, has gotten stuck. There are many, many churches that are just stuck, but it's, it's time for us to get unstuck. And if we don't make that, that decision to get unstuck, at the end of this year, we're going to be stuck again. So I just want to encourage you, God's, God's Word is going to help you through this. It's going to help you get unstuck. You know, God's got a wonderful plan for each and every one of us. God's got a wonderful plan for our church. But we'll never fulfill that calling if we stay stuck. And I believe the Word of God is, is closely tied with that. You know, our church, like many churches, we got stuck during the pandemic or following the pandemic. And we're kind of stuck somewhere between a pre-COVID world and a post-COVID world. I, th I think the world is stuck in that place. We're kind of stuck in a rut. And there's a story in the Old Testament that really reminds me of our current situation. And it's 2 Kings 6, 24 through 25. It says, and, and, I, and I referred to this verse not too long ago in a, in a message, but, and it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cup of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Boy, how would you like to go to McDonald's and buy that for your Happy Meal? So the story goes on that the famine was so severe in Samaria that some had to resort to cannibalism. The Assyrians were successful in isolating the Samaritans, or those who were in Samaria, uh, from the rest of the world. And caught between Samaria and the Assyrians were four leprous men. And they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Listen to the words of these men as they're caught between the city. They're outside of the city gates, the city is under siege, and the, the Assyrians are besieging it. So this is what they say. And remember... Leprosy at this time is, is a deadly disease. It's, you have to isolate yourself from everyone. So nobody wants these men. So they're kind of stuck in a, in a rut. <clears throat> so here's what they say to themselves. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we still sitting, why are we sitting here until we die? If we stay, we will enter the city. The famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we also die. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. Now, that sounds like a desperate situation, but it's obviously a situation that God can turn around. You know, being, being stuck and being not able to do anything or not be able to feel like you is, is a terrible feeling, but at the same time, it can be a place of transition. Being stuck, it's frustrating, but again, it's a place where transition can take place. See, we can stay stuck in those places, or we can decide to get unstuck. And these men are stuck, and they're sick and tired of being stuck. And that's a good thing. Sometimes we have to get sick and tired of being stuck. A lot of times we get stuck, we get comfortable there. 
And after a while, it's just like, this is kind of getting old. I don't like being stuck anymore. That's where these four lepers are. They, they don't want to be stuck anymore. So they look at their situation and decide, what else do we have to lose? What else do we have to lose? And here's the outcome of their decision. Verse 5. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. But there's no army. There's no army. You know, we can only speculate this, but what did they hear? Did God make a sound, or did God reverberate the sound of these men walking? Who knows? But at any rate, we know this. As they start walking towards the camp, God causes something to take place, and there's confusion that takes place. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank. And they carried from it silver and gold and clothing. And they went in and hid them. And they came back and entered another tent and carried some of, uh, from there also and went in and hid it. So this story goes on and on. Man, they've hit the jackpot. I mean, these guys have fled, left. There. I mean, to besiege a city is setting up a city around a city. So to, they've hit the jackpot. The Assyrians have fled for their lives, left all their stuff, left all their food, their, their supplies. And these lepers have hit the jackpot. They go for broke. They walk by faith rather than by sight. See, often, if we do the opposite, we'll stay stuck. And that's why they're walking by faith. What else do I have to lose? I'm stuck here, I'll die. If I go in the city, I'll die. So maybe I'll just try this. So as a result, God causes these Assyrians to flee, and these four leprous men enjoy the plunder of the Assyrians. And they don't hold it to themselves. As you read the story, they go into the city, and they say, hey, the famine's over. The Assyrians have gone, and the, the famine did lift that day. God brought about a, big, a victory. Why? Because someone decided they just weren't going to be stuck anymore. And I want to challenge you. If you feel like you're stuck, and you're not satisfied in your spirit, something's missing. Maybe you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Instead of pointing the blame at everything and everyone else, you're stuck. You need to get unstuck. And if you stay stuck, you won't move towards God. But if you make the move towards God... God honors his word. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. But don't stay stuck in fear. Don't stay stuck in doubt, or maybe just your flesh. It's time for us to move forward by faith. And that's why I'm challenging you to move closer to God, specifically through his word. And as a church, we can stay stuck, and if we do that, our community will suffer. But our community desperately needs a church and churches like ours to get unstuck and move forward with God. You know what? Pandemic's over. Excuses are over. You know, well, whatever the new normal is. No, 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 no. Listen, we, we, we choose what that is, by the way. I understand there are parameters we can't control, but you can control your devotional life to God. You can control how you respond to God and his word. And that's where I would say it's time to get unstuck. I was researching for this message, and I, I thought, I'm going to Google this question. I'm going to say, if, 2020, if 2022 could be described in one word, how would you describe it? So how would you describe 2022? And then also, I'm going to ask you this, how would you, what is your outlook upon 2023? So one word, if you could take one word to describe 2022, what would it be, and what is your outlook, and one word for the next year, for this year that we're in? And here's some of the responses I found online. 
in regards to 2022? Unsatisfactory. I said, I, I, can, I can agree with that. Difficult. Ominous. <laughs> some people just are like this, and I like this, stupid. <laughs> and some, and I, I can't put the words, so I'm going I'm to PG it. Some said dung. I think those are accurate, accurate views. For me, I would summarize this past year as frustrating. Just frustrating. But here's how I, I don't know how you feel in regards to the next year. I feel optimistic. I feel optimistic about this year. I feel optimistic because I believe it can be a year of breakthrough, not only for myself, but for our church. I believe we can break through some things and we can move closer to God. Anytime you get closer to God, no matter what's going on, I mean, all hell can be breaking loose. You move closer to God. It's a good thing. Sometimes God allows those circumstances so you flee to him, so you run to him. But sometimes we're hard of hearing and slow to learn. And we're like, man, why am I stuck? Why am I going through hell right now? God, where are you at? And he just says, hey, let's just move closer to me and I'll get closer to you. And God is using the circumstances to get you to move. So think about your responses. What are your responses? What would it be? How would you describe last year and how would you describe this year? And if you don't move closer to God, no matter what's taking place in this world, you are going to have something that's similar to the results you had last year. See, God has a plan for us as a church and ourselves individually to get unstuck and to move towards him. And the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word are vital to that process taking place. See, we can't and we won't thrive spiritually unless we have a closeness with God and with his presence and through his word. So we need the Spirit of God. I, I, I'm not discounting the Holy Spirit, okay? We need God's presence, amen? We need God's presence in our lives daily as we worship. I understand that. But I want to place a heavy emphasis on God's Word because I believe at the root of our problems of being stuck is God's Word and the role God's Word plays in our lives. Jesus said this in Matthew 4.4, 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's, he's quoting an Old Testament verse from Deuteronomy. Jesus himself is the bread of life. He is the word made flesh, the word of God, our spiritual food. It nourishes our spirit. And without God's word, church, we lose our strength, our faith will fail, and we suffer, and we get stuck. As we draw closer to God through his word, there, there's some truths concerning the scriptures that we have to remind ourselves. These these don't change, and I want to reinforce them. See, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. The Assemblies of God, our church, our district, me personally as a pastor, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. So some believers believe that some or most of the Bible is true, and then others' parts aren't as true. That, that's, not, that's not who I am. That's not who this church is. That's not who our fellowship is. You know, that's a slippery slope when you start picking and choosing what's inspired and what's not inspired. It's a good way to get yourself stuck, by the way. We believe the scriptures, Old Testament, New, are verbally inspired of God. We believe they are God's revelation to man. Uh, we believe they're infallible. We believe that they are authoritative regarding our faith and all of our conduct. See, God, we believe God anointed certain writers to write, but he is the author. The author of scriptures is not man. God is the author of scripture. Amen. 
So God chose specific people. He anointed them. He enabled them to do something they couldn't do, and that was this. Something they couldn't do on their own. To hear God clearly and to record what he was saying. We believe God preserved the entire process, preventing error, and as a result, we have scriptures that are incapable of mistakes. I would even say this, that you have to, as a rule of thumb, and you always have to remember, especially at a Pentecostal or charismatic church, we have this tendency to say, well, God told me this. Yeah, but what did he say in his word? Because those two have to be in agreement with each other. And frankly, if they're not, then whatever you think the Holy Spirit told you is incorrect, or you heard incorrectly, or you perceived incorrectly. God's word is always true. You always have to go back to what is written. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of the scriptures is speaking to you, and he does not change. And let's just face it, church, sometimes we get it wrong. We think God told us something, we feel strongly about it, and we find out that, you know what, there might have been part of that, but it was a lot of us as well. The Word of God could keep you out of so much trouble if you balance those two. So some people say, this, well, I don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture because the Bible is full of contradictions. I always say, well, show me one, first of all, and secondly, then I'll approach it after that, but I don't see them as contradictions. <clears throat> what I see when people point something out is basically man who is limited and God who is unlimited, and limited man not being able to understand unlimited God. You know, I see this as, as finite man trying to define an infinite God. You can't do that, by the way. If you got God figured out what he does and what he says, then, then God is not that big. God is much bigger than that. I've heard this phrase used during the pandemic, follow the science, right? You know, by the way, we should follow science. But with this understanding, science can, has, and will be wrong. For, for instance, there are things we did during the pandemic that we wouldn't do today because of what we learned. Give you another, here's a great example. This was simple. Uh, we believed, science believed at one time the earth was flat. Some people say, that's what the church said. No. The Bible says something different. The Bible says the earth is a sphere, round. But science said the world was flat. Now, I often look at this one as a great example because how could people who wrote and recorded the scriptures over 2,000 years ago know this when everyone thought it was flat? Science finally caught up to what God, what God had said, what God had spoke. For years, people, historians said this. I love history. Pontius Pilate never existed. There was no such person. And yet they go through these archaeological digs, and what do they find? They find, they find these signs. They find these these. These things that were constructed that, that marked Pontius Pilate confirmed that he was a procreator that lived during the time of Christ. That, I'm not trying to uh, devalue science. All I'm saying is this, that we cannot define an infinite God by science. Science is something that we create, something that we, we think and we understand that we formulate, but God is infinite, and he, he exists outside of all that. So if science is something that was, that's driving you, then you know what, you'll, you'll probably find plenty of mistakes in God's Word. I mean, how does, how does the sun stand still? See, what it comes down to is this, faith. You either believe God's Word is true or you don't. It requires faith. And for me, at the end of the day, when I study things, it just takes more faith to believe a bunch of hogwash than it just does to take God at His Word. It's much simpler, it's much cleaner. I have more peace, I don't have as much frustration, I'm just going to take God's word as it is. But at the end of the day, the word of God will always require faith. 
So when we read the Bible as infallible, when you read it as inerrant, it gives you some confidence. It gives you this confidence to live by it. It has authority in your life. And while I never want to underestimate the value of believing God's word, living God's word is the goal. If you love to study the scriptures, you love to break down Greek and Hebrew and all that, that's great. But at the end of the day, learning is not the goal. Living is the goal. Living the word of God is the goal. James 1.22, but be doers of the word, not only hearers and deceiving yourselves. Plenty of people believe God's word is true, but they neglect living God's word. That isn't the goal of faith. One of the reasons why I felt led to challenge you to draw closer to God through the devotion is his, through his word is this very point. I think, we get, I think we get the word up here, but I think sometimes we get it here. And this is where you have to have it. You can have it up here all day long, but you have to have it in your heart. If we hear God's word, we read God's word, we study God's word, but we fail to live God's word, we're missing the purpose of God's word. James goes on to say that same verse, not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. He goes on to say this in verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, that's, a li that's living the word, is not, forget is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So our study and reading of God's word should result in living God's word. As we live by that authority of God's word, the Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us to live God's word. And that's the connection I want to make here this morning. So I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about a spirit-filled life, church. A spirit-filled life that results in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what I'm talking about, living the Word. The Spirit of God empowering the Word in our lives. See, if Scriptures aren't authoritative in our lives, if they aren't the authority we won't live by faith. Listen to what Jesus says. Very simple, John 14, 15. If you love me, if, keep my commands. See, that's not legalism. That's not law. That's, that's love. Let me show you what I mean by that. Jesus is never forcing you to obey his commands. He goes, if you love me, this is what you'll do. Let me, let me go down further with this. Uh, if your heart has been right, made right with God, if you love Jesus then why wouldn't you want to respect his word? 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. We, some of us want to stop right there and cut out the rest of this. We want doctrine, but reproof, that, that don't sound good. Reproof, correction, my goodness. For, for instruction in righteousness, if you want to break that down further, teaching you how to live right. That's what the scripture is for. See, the scripture isn't just to be learned, it's to be lived. The Bible contains words of God that are inspired and useful for establishing doctrine, reproving, correcting, and instructing in the right way of life, of living. I shared this story before. We're right around the same time that it happened a few years back, but um, we had the church open for a week of prayer. 
leave the front door unlocked. People can come in. You know, you can pray as you want. And someone came in one day. Uh, they prayed. And then when my office was here, they came and knocked on the door and we talked. And uh, for whatever reason, somebody who didn't attend our church came in through the front door and they hear people talking, follow the voices, find us. They, he's standing in there with us while we're talking. And I can clearly tell the man is clearly intoxicated uh, by, by the slurring of his words, by visibly teetering, tottering, and, and also he just reeked of alcohol. So he, he starts talking and different things, and he just starts quoting scripture. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, accurately. Four or five. Bam, bam, bam. What do you think of that? I said, nothing. He, I mean, he gets a little mad. What do you mean, nothing? I just, I just quoted that. There's people in the church can't even do that. I said, might be right, but I, I don't think nothing of that. Why? Because you've got to live it. You have to live God's word. Listen, church, I'm not impressed by anyone who can quote the word. I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not impressed by anyone who can memorize scripture and quote it. It's, terribly, it's a terrible injustice if you can memorize the word, quote it, but you can't live it. There's a huge separation. And man, we have, in, our, in the Christian world, we have this down pat right now. Nothing. I just don't believe nothing. It didn't impress God. You have to live God's word. See, scripture had no authority in this man's life. No authority. If, he, if, he had, if the scripture had authority in his life, he would understand do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with God's Spirit, right? He would know that, and he would live that. I mean, he could probably quote that verse, but he couldn't live that verse. Don't you see the tragedy in the two? And we're not talking about perfection. But I'm just saying this, that if we choose to just be learners of God's Word and not doers, then we're, we are missing the goal of Scripture. The goal of Scripture is not to be able to quote it quote it verse by verse. It's the goal of Scripture to live it verse by verse. Let's give you an example. If, if, again, if you love me, Jesus says, obey my commands. Put it this way. If you're married, you'll remain faithful. Why? Because you have to? No, you remain faithful because you love your spouse. You don't have to do this. You want to go out and cheat and do all you want? You can. But what's going to keep your vow sacred is your love for your spouse. It's not law. It's love. It's the same way with God's Word. You don't, you don't have to keep it. You get to keep it. You don't have to just to live the Word. You get to live God's Word. Church, if we obey God's Word as authoritative in our lives, in authority under love, then we'll keep His commands. Imagine this truth recorded in the Scripture. Imagine this verse I'm going to read with it just being here in your head rather than here in your heart. Jesus was asked this question. Hey, what's, what's, the, greatest, what's the greatest command of God's word? If, if you could take all the entirety of God's word, boil it down to a statement, what's the most important thing we could do as, as believers? So Matthew twenty two thirty five. then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And I love the next verse. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now this truth cannot just be stuck here. This truth has to be lived out. There are, there are no other options. 
You can't just say, well, I, I think I should love my neighbor as myself. No, you, you're called. It's, Jesus is, is, is defining the entirety of God's word. He says, no, this is what it's about. You either live this or you don't. You love God and you love people. It has to be lived out. It's not something we can just catch up here and we can quote, we can say. And it's, the, it's doctrine, it's theology. No, it's, it's lived. Here's another great example. Example. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age, amen. Now we refuse, neglect, or ignore the great commission, God's word to us. And if we do that, it's because it's not authoritative to us. Here's why we'll say, say it's not authoritative to us. Well, that's, that's for pastors. That's for clergy. That's for people who have titles. No, this is for all of us, church. Every single one of us. The Great Commission is God's commission to all believers, not some. So as a church, we don't take the words of the Great Commission as authoritative. And you say, well, why would you say that? And I'm not trying to be mean or harsh. Please hang with me. But let's just look at results. Let's look at 2022. Who did you personally lead to Jesus? I mean, unless you live in your house by yourself, you never get out, then that's not true. You go to Walmart, you go to Dollar General, you go to Browns. There's plenty of places. Go to the gas station. It, it, listen, if you, if you lack people, instead of paying out the pump, go inside. Start a relationship with the person, because you know this, that people, attendants work at certain times. Strike up a friendship with the attendant then. With this desire, well, I'm going to lead that person to Christ. You can say, well, that sounds kind of cheap. That sounds kind of phony. No, that's called love. Phony, you can use phony as an excuse, see what I'm saying? Love is what it's about. Do you love that person? Do you want to see them bust hell wide open? Doesn't your heart break for them? See, who, who did you begin to witness to with this intent? I'm going to lead this person to Christ. Again, you can't save them. All you can do is share your testimony, share your heart with them, share what God's done and God has taken care of it. But did we even make that commitment? Did we even take a step forward to do that in the past year? See, the Great Commission isn't authoritative in our lives. It's, it's doctrine. It's theology. It's something we believe, but it's not something we do. Again, I'm not trying to guilt you, but I am called to be your pastor. And remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God for what? Doctrine. But don't stop there. Reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Paul was an apostolic authority. He charged Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, this is what you're called to do. When you, this, your job as a pastor, as a preacher, is this, to establish doctrine, correct, and instruct believers how to live righteously. Again, this, I'm not weaponizing the scriptures. I'm not asking you to do something for personal gain. I'm asking you to simply do this. Let's take God's word as authority and let's live by it. If the word of God is simply knowledge or information, it will just lack authority. And guess what? We just stay stuck. And I'm just using those as examples. There's plenty of other examples we can look at. Many people are, are going to start this new year out by this way. I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to start to exercise. See, people who make a commitment to eat right usually do this. I'm going to eat right, I'm going to exercise. Usually, 30 days, most of them have fell off the map. They, they, they're not doing it anymore. Most, not all. But those who stick with their commitment long enough, they see changes take place. Give you another example. I, I don't like to eat certain foods. I'm sure you're the same way, but there are certain foods I got to eat because they're healthy. And if, if you eat a certain way, then they're going to create some, some dynamics in your life that you're not going to like at some point. <clears throat> I don't like certain vegetables. 
But when I make a commitment to eat those vegetables, I don't like them. Nothing changes. They don't taste better. I mean, you can only put so much cheese on something, but then it kind of loses its effect, right? But I know I need to eat it because there's, there's value in it. So over time, I'll change, I'll eat. And what happens is something changes. Give you another example. Uh, I did this with soda and tea. Some of you have done this too. Uh, I used to drink a lot of soda, a lot of tea. But I know that as I'm getting older, there are some changes that were taking place. I shouldn't drink that much. So I stopped doing it. I, I, drink, I just drink water and coffee. That's it. Certain weeks, it's more coffee than water. But I'm not lying to you. A year ago, maybe two years ago, I drank two bottles of water per week. One on Sunday and one on Wednesday. That's changed. Now, now it's like, I don't even want soda. I don't even want sweet tea. I just, I just don't. Um, I want water. Why is that? Because I didn't allow my flesh to dominate what I wanted. If you allow your flesh to dominate what you want, you're going to do it. My point is this. I kept my commitment and my desire changed. And it's the same way with God's Word. If you allow your flesh to call all the stops, make every excuse there is for not reading your Bible, drawing closer to God, you're going to stay where you are. You have to force yourself. You know, we, we want to become Pentecostal uh, magicians. We just, Pastor Wave, want to hear a message. I'm just going to, he's going to lay hands on me and give these new desires. That, that's not the way it works. Boy, if it was, we'd all be walking in freedom. We'd all be walking in victory. We'd all be so close to God, we couldn't get any closer. We'd just be like Enoch. We'd be here one day, we'd be gone the next. But we still here. So you can't and you won't grow spiritually without God's word because it is food for your spirit. See, my goal is to challenge you to read your word, to study your word, to memorize your word, to listen to God's word. But church, most of all, my goal is this, to get you to live God's word. Take an area of your life where you know you're not living God's word. Take the challenge. Draw closer to God in that area. Closer in his word. Find, find, if you're not good at witnessing, then, then just dive into those scriptures where, where, that, are, that are linked to soul winning. If you're not living right in a certain area, dive deep into those areas. Make a commitment to live that way, to live God's way. I'll give you a couple examples. Look at this. Just to reinforce what I'm trying to say to you. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. But he said, blessed are those who hear the word of God, this is Jesus speaking, and keep it. Again, the word, again, is not just to be learned, it's to be lived. Here, here's another great example. Break it down to something that is, we can all practice. Here's a challenge for each and every one of us. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You stop right there and say, no way. But that's God's way. See, if you don't make a change right there, you're never going to do this. You're never going to accomplish this. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Again, it's not enough just that we should know about loving our enemies. It's that we love our enemies. We're not successful. We're not fulfilling God's word unless we are doing God's word. Here's a, another easy one, one that we're all called to do. Matthew 6, 14. Again, not just learning the word, but living the word. For if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's black and white. Actually, it's red and white, but it's clear as day. That's the challenge, that we have to live. It's not knowing that we should forgive others. It's that we actually forgive others. 
God does not count it a bonus. Like, they got it here, and it's just a bonus if they get it here. No, no, the, the, the intent is not to get it here. The intent is to get it here, to live it. And again, we won't live it unless it's authoritative in our lives. So when we fail to live according to God's word, we find ourselves stuck. And again, I believe that we're stuck. A lot of us are just stuck. It's time for us to get unstuck. And this is just one, one step in the right direction is living according to God's word, drawing closer to God through his word. It's time for us to put aside any excuses, and it's time for us to move forward with God. And let's start this new year by drawing closer to God through his word. And that's my challenge to you, and hopefully you'll take it.